All right, how's everybody doing? Welcome back to You Don't Know Ball, episode 54. We're cheesing to have you back. After, again, like I told her right when he came in today, I'm like, you know, just another, not as crazy as last week, but we're just getting crazy weeks of football. The narratives are definitely not what we expected. No, it's it's kind of crazy because, I, I don't want to say it's crazy because I feel like this happens every year. I feel like everyone overreacts the first couple weeks of football, but you got to think about it. Like those, that's all, the only information you're getting like from the new year besides preseason, which is not very indicative of how the season's actually going to go. Well, that's yeah. And I'm not gonna lie to you, bro. I was thinking about this the other day and I, I'm, I'm telling you, I, I've, I don't think I've ever said this before. I'll judge myself on it, but I've never said it out loud. I'm at the point where I'm done. Even I'm you're not gonna hear a hot take from me ever again for the first two weeks of football. Yeah. The first two weeks. No, that's it's the a best time zone. to do them though. Bro, it's a trap zone it's because trap I'm zone. looking back at myself and I'm like, Oh my goodness. I was like, I was right about things that I was convinced I was wrong about. I went back on things, should have gone back on, and some things, it's, it's a mess, bro. You got to just let the first two weeks just do itself, because then the, all your hot takes you had in the offseason, you cheat yourself out of. Yep. Can't do it anymore. Yeah, no, it's, that's how I feel like every year of football. I feel like every year I just don't know what I'm talking about after <laughs> I listen back to, you know, and and then I guess the biggest reminder is just stay calm. And I think that's kind of the theme of kind of the first topic we're going to talk about today. But also, there's also a version of maybe don't stay calm. So this is going to be crazy. The first topic we have today is the future of Justin Fields. Okay. So there's a long season left. There's still a lot of games to be played. But right now, the Bears currently possess the number one and number two overall pick. In the 2023 draft. Okay. Now going into this year. I don't think a single Bears fan would have told you. Maybe maybe there's a couple out there. But I don't think there's a single Bears fan that would have told you. Oh yeah. We'll have the number one pick. That might be our pick. Like everyone assumed if we had the number one pick it would be Carolina. Now currently that's how it stands. But at the end of the day. I think Bears fans genuinely felt very optimistic going into this year. So there's two scenarios on the table right now. Let's say the Bears suck and Justin Fields does not play well. Like we just saw two great weeks from Denver and, and Washington. The scenario one is Justin Fields is traded for whatever you can get for him. And you take Caleb Williams with the number one. You take Caleb Williams with the number one overall pick. The other scenario is Justin Fields balls out and we trade the number one overall pick for more draft picks. And then you hopefully have a pick within the top five where you can grab Marvin Harrison Jr. And then wherever that other pick lands, you're getting a top first round talent. So Dobbs, let me ask you this. Right now, what do you think is a more likely scenario? Justin Fields is the starting quarterback for the Bears in 2024, or Caleb Williams is the new quarterback in Chicago? It's so tough, bro, because and honestly, I hate doing this. I hate being like split on something. Yeah, but I truly am in the sense of and here's my thing. Look, I can completely see, like we said before, Justin. Yeah, he's playing good. and He's always really actually really good weeks on tape, but I can see him having one or two really bad stinkers again this rest of this year throughout the rest of the year. Yeah. And then it kind of hits the point where, again, like you said, if you have even the smidgenest of doubt, you got to go with Caleb. Caleb is he's that guy. And then but on the other hand. I can totally see them kind of just really turning the, the corner like we thought they were going to at the yeah. beginning, having a historically bad start to the year and kind of just like 
weaning out seven, eight wins throughout the rest of the year. And everyone's like, oh yeah, like Justin keeps playing like this. And, and then it would be where you're taking too much of a risk. Not like it just not letting him keep developing under yeah. the right under the team with, with the chemistry of the team. And then I can see, bro, it's, it truly is a scenario where I can see both because also then if he's playing like that, you add Marvin to the mix for like, certain. Oh. I mean, so it, it is a, uh, I guess it's a great problem to have. I guess like that's how I'm looking at it. Well, where Bears see, fans are stressing too much. The truth of the matter is, bro, it, there's not really a wrong way to go about it. Like, no, it, it's a great problem to have, but also like if you make the wrong decision, it can be catastrophic. Like it can be bad. Like if you choose to roll with Justin and he ends up not being that guy, what are the chances you're going to have a pick? Like have the Bears ever had? Could the Bears have ever had a player like Caleb Williams? Like they have never been in position to like take a guy like that. So my thing is just like, that's why I'm so like, maybe you just do it because you've never had this opportunity. You have this guy who is consensus number one, consensus number one. So let me let me lay out kind of what I, you know, have processed while thinking about this. So if you trade Justin Fields, okay, you're going to get some type of draft capital back. But then you have to use the number one pick on a quarterback. You don't really get to upgrade your roster anywhere else besides that other pick that you will probably have in the top 10 if you're trading Justin Fields. Okay, so if you do take Williams, you can then take Marvin Harrison Jr. or Olu or Joe Alt to kind of solidify that offense. And besides center, you're pretty you're good. Like your, your offense is good. And but then you if Fields balls out, you can trade the number one overall pick for a haul, a haul. And possibly players like we saw that's what they did with DJ Moore and it, and it has worked. So if you trade for already proven players plus draft picks, I mean, think the Bears already have an extra second in 2025. If you get a first in 25 and 26, like you have two first, you're going to have two firsts all the way from 24 to 26. Well, that's why it's like, so let's look at it from an honest perspective. Okay. What Bears fans should want to happen. Just, just like what we, what you, you guys, in my okay. opinion, should want. Let me say this before you go. It's the best case scenario for Justin Fields, for all Bears fans, for Justin Fields to ball out. It's the best case scenario. Oh, it's not even close because like to your point, if that happens, well, then you kind of just get to a point where, and if he actually stays consistent, it's like an embarrassment of for draft capital of riches, like an embarrassment of yeah. riches in draft capital in the best way. I mean, there's nothing, there is no bad way to say that. That's the best case scenario for sure. And yeah, so I think Bears fans should be leaning towards Justin to keep doing this because, and then let's go on the other hand. If you guys, on, where Justin plays bad, whatever, whatever, look, just because you get the generational QB, we know it doesn't, that does not mean you're going not to a guarantee. go and go win. It does not guarantee that the roster is going to turn around. And then back to the other hand of we're switching or you keep switching hands here. We're like juggling back to the best case scenario. You can build so much and you don't have to. And yes, you have to pay Justin sooner or later. And yes, yes, yes. But you have so much room to build the rest of the team with that capital where you yeah. can kind of just pick and choose what you want to do. Like you can literally look at a, a team that's bad, their best players and kind of be like, yeah, I'm eyeing him. How's that first rounder sound? If I can get him, in, you know, you know what I'm saying? Or a couple, you get my point. If this, so for Justin to ball out, it's far and away the best case scenario. It's not even close. Yeah, so I just want to look at the grand scheme of things. I want to look at the Bears teams now over the last three years, the teams that Justin Fields has been a part of, okay, whether it's offense or defense. So in 2021, the Bears are 24th in yards, 27th in points scored, 30th in passing, 14th in rushing, and 31st in turnovers, okay? They were 
slightly better last year in some categories. They were 28th in yards, 23rd in points scored, 32nd in passing, which is just atrocious, obviously, if you're looking at the quarterback position. But you also have to look at who's he throwing to. The line wasn't always healthy at the beginning of the year. They weren't that good at the beginning of the year. But they were first in rushing. And I think that has a lot to do with Justin Fields' legs. 27th in turnovers, okay? The issue through these last three years of offense has been turnovers. They've been horrible with turnovers. Okay, but this is this year, okay? Now, they have ranked higher in mostly everything by far outside of rushing. 13th in total yards, 11th in points scored. Now, if if I were to tell you that, a lot of people would not think that the Bears are like that high in those lists. So 11th in points scored, 15th in passing, 15th in passing, 8th in rushing, and 25th in turnovers, okay? So... That's just that's the offense like they have gotten better this year, even though it's only through five games like they have been better than what they were the last two years, especially passing, passing and and, and total points scored. So let's move into their defense. The defense is anything. Well, that's the regression point. I'm sure. I mean, it's like so this is the thing. They were 22nd in total yards and 21 28th in takeaways 11th in points allowed. Last year, they're 29th in total yards allowed, 14th in takeaways, and 32nd in points allowed. So they were the most scored on team in 2022. This year, they are 30th in total yards allowed, 26th in takeaways, 30th in points allowed. Justin Fields' record as a starter is horrible, but you have to ask, how many games would they have won if their defense hasn't wasn't atrocious? And mind you, 21 was when Nagy was still here. So they have been worse the two years that they've had a defensive-minded head coach as their guy. And that, to me, is why he has to go. I was going to say, we're, we're certainly at a point where, regardless, I don't really know. That's that's what the most, actually, now that you bring it up, and it kind of slipped my mind for a little bit. Yeah. But that's probably the most awkward thing about the entire situation is, if we go back to this hand here of the Justin having the great rest of the year, is it puts the ownership group in a tough spot where it's like, Okay, you know, do we switch up the situation again? Even though we we have to, because the defense is terrible. That's what he's here for. But then you got to kind of restart a few things over again. You know, get the get the coach QB relationship again. And I'm not. It, obviously, like we're saying, the way things are right now, I have no clue. I have no clue what I'm leaning towards being the what scenario is going to happen. So I do think, regardless, though, we we do see Eberflus out and out some way yeah. somehow. However, it's going to happen. It has to happen. Yeah. So at this point. I agree. I think you have to get like an offensive minded guy and then just find like a stud DC because it's like the defense isn't isn't good. It's not it's good. Terrible. And, and and here's the thing. Like if you're a defensive minded head coach, we've had this discussion multiple times. You have to elevate your team somehow. You have to like what is the point? I mean, it's an offensive league. The rules benefit offense. Why are you here if you're not elevating your team? Well, and I also just want to bring up even just from last week's example, you know, he was they, much better, though, the, this the, week. Well, yes, but two. here's my thing. Big red flag, in my opinion, because I've seen this. I, I'm telling you from uh, witnessing a t- bunch of bad defenses in my life yeah. from the Saints. Not recently, but I've witnessed a lot of them in the past. It's like it's easy to come out and play good for a couple quarters. And then it's just like when you that for just, just gets, you know, it's like, ah, that was enough. Like, yeah, and that was you clearly saw that that commander's game was like they 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 definitely kind of, you know, the effort was not the same in the second half because the commanders came out ready to gunsling and they were getting anything they wanted in the second half. Yeah, I mean, it got to a point where. You know, I'm sure you guys were, were getting a little nervous. Like, okay, are we really going to do this two weeks in a row? Yeah, I so was. So it's like, that's where my thing comes in. It's like, if you're going to be a, a defensive coach, you can't have those weeks. And this is every week. If it was every once in a while, it wouldn't be a big deal. But truthfully, 
the Bears are the type, and again, Sam Howell almost put up like 400 yards against you guys. Like, yes, the, they had 20 points. Yeah, they didn't have a good offensive week. But the reality of the situation is you can move the ball on the Bears defense right now pretty oh, much however yeah. you want. I mean, you can kind of just do whatever you want on them. It's just like you said now, when the offense comes together, they actually can do things too. It's just we had they had the offense was at a low point. And with the defense at a low point, like we said, they look like an 0 17 team. It, it, now, looked, when, it looked bad. When the offense wants to do this, they can win games. But when you're a defensive coach, back to the point, it's a joke. Yeah, so moving into kind of my final points here is like, I think the main thing I really want to address is if we are going to, if the Bears are going to stick with Justin Fields going into the 2024 year, if you just look at his stats from 2022 into five games this year, because I just threw out 21 because 21 is just, he's in a horrible offense with a coach that's trying to save his job. And it's just, I don't think that's a fair evaluation. I think he was thrown to the fire with really nothing, nothing to work with. So looking back in 22, he was 16th in touchdown passes, 26th in pass yards, 17th in average per completion. So he was, but he was 29th in completions and 27 in attempts. So that's not bad. That means he was airing the ball out a decent amount. 32, 32nd in completion percentage, 32nd in yards per game. And he was the first for the most sat quarterback. He was PFF's 56th graded passer. Obviously, not everyone plays 16 games. So, you know, it's a little jade, um, a little janky there. But <laughs> just looking at his 2023 through five games, he's tied second for most touchdown passes, 13th in pass yards, eighth in average per completion yards. He's t- but he's also 18th in attempts. So that's that's pretty good, in my opinion. That means he's, they're airing the ball. They're not just dumping it off like they were the first three weeks. And I think that's so important. The issue that we're kind of seeing, though, is he's 27th in completion. So he hasn't really upped his completion percentage. But I, So, I mean, that's that, that would really be your area of concern. 13th in yards per game, third for most sacked, and he's PFF's 26th graded passer. So, obviously, there's huge strides. There's huge strides. I mean, like, I, in my opinion, I would like to see him use his legs a little bit more because that's what made him so deadly. And if he's developing as his pather, passer and you're able to get him in this rhythm of second and touchdown passes and 13th and pass yards, imagine if you get his legs going at 70% of what you were doing last year. I don't know how you stop that offense. No, and I think too, what I wanted to say is now that you said it, a uh, little side note, but I think, and this is just obvious stuff, but what Justin needs to start doing more is, and it was a prime example this week where Jalen was doing it a ton, where it's like, you know what? Things are starting to open up. You know what? I'm not going to hesitate. Sometimes that's the problem. What Justin is just, he hesitates too much in the pocket. It's yeah. like, I'm waiting. I'm waiting because you want to get the downfield strike, right? Everyone, every good QB, you want to hit the downfield strike. You want to get the offense moving. You want to get some, some flow into the stadium, into the fans, right? But the reality situation is, Sometimes when nothing's down there, you have a free five, 10 yards every time if you just make the decision quick enough. Where yeah. You're like, I'm just going to roll up, roll out, roll up. Because if, if you what you do is in, if you take enough time where everybody's already downfield, well, then everybody who's playing soft just comes down to play the run. Right, but right. if you if you don't hesitate when they're still 15, 20 yards in their drop, that's before they start Lamar's coming, playing. that's what you have to do. And again, because the reality situation is like he even said himself, it was coached out of him. He has to like man in black himself and go like, you know what the shit? Yeah, I haven't yeah. seen the movie, but I know the meme, and I know that shit. And I know you get they do something where they make themselves forget what they will learn. He's got to make do that with them. He's got to men in black himself. 
He's got to say, fuck it. They don't know me better than I know myself. And obviously, coach wants the best for you, which is why they did that. But the reality of the situation is you're one and four. The best thing for them and for you now is to win a lot of games because, like we said, Caleb's coming, potentially. And if you want it, you got to make the resume as filled out as possible so that they don't go on the most generational guy they've ever had a shot at, if that is the case. I agree. I think it's just as simple as that at this point. I agree. So in, in summary, I think my thing is like, I'm not off the Justin Fields bandwagon. Like, like a week ago, even after Denver, after his performance, I was like, yeah, okay, this is Denver. Now, the commanders aren't great on defense, but at the end of the day, it's like, you don't pick who you play. So my thing is, he needs to ball out against the good teams on the rest of the schedule. Like, he needs to, like, what he did against the commanders like that needs to be and I'm not talking about four touchdowns every game but what he did like that needs to be like the minimum for the rest of the year like he needs to throw for 280 and like not fuck up yeah I would say even just more than anything he could even just go for 200 no interceptions and give me like a rushing touchdown or a bunch of yeah, rushing yeah. yards and that's the same thing it's like just but to your point just productive no turnovers not yeah. no turnovers. It's not going to be. That's not realistic. But let's let's minimize turnovers and let's get up that completion percentage. Sometimes that's my main thing. I still, I'm, I'm you know, that's that I can, I'm concerned about Justin. Is sometimes it, on things that should be a little easier, it yeah. looks like he kind of like is either a little high, a little low, a little to the side. I just want to see him hit dudes in their chest a little more often. Yeah. I think a big thing too will be beating Minnesota. If he can beat Minnesota, beat a division division rival who went I yeah I know the record's not great this year but they went 13 and 4 last year like you obviously have to be in games to do that even if it's one score Let, let's let's shut some people up like let's let's and yes Minnesota's defense isn't great but let's do it like let's no more guessing like let, that that's what I was kind of arguing today with like um the Stroud shit is like sometimes these guys just look the part and if they don't that's here, what you're really trying to say is I figured out because this is how I'm looking at it now, bro. We know the Bears defense is probably likely going to shit the bed almost every week. Yeah, that's fine. That's that's to be expected. However, if the offense shits the bed in, in tangent, then it's got to be a sign. Yeah, that's really where it's at. The I, offense just got to do the thing. Yeah. So this is going to be definitely an interesting storyline for the rest of the 2023 season because, you know, this could really lead to a decade changing moment for the franchise. It could be amazing. It could be catastrophic. So can't be at this point. It couldn't be more catastrophic than like the five years and the beginning of the year. You guys had to go through at this point. So, you know what? I think, I think that things made it finally started looking up possibly. All right. So something that I want to talk about and bring up, and this is no, you know, this is no surprise to anybody. We're at a point where this has definitely become kind of the main topic. I would say this week, you know, I'm not, I'm not surprised anyone with this one, Yeah, but we got to talk about it. Cause it's reality. And you know, like I say, I'm a realist. We got to, we got to talk about what's going on. Brock Purdy, right? Is Brock Purdy, uh, I, I'm trying to, because I don't even want to use the same word everybody's been using. And everybody's just throwing a word around the word, the E word nowadays. The E word. And I'm word. careful with the E word. Elite? Yeah. Everybody throws around the E word crazy nowadays. Because, okay, so this is what I wanted to start with. Okay. This is what I really want to start with, with the whole uh, curious case of Brock Purdy, aka yeah. Mr. Relevant, aka turn Mr. Relevant, right? Is the situation is, he is in probably the most unique situation I've seen for a starting quarterback. Right. Maybe, I don't know, maybe in my life. Because, yeah, no, I think I will say he, he probably is the, the most unique situation. I, I could be wrong. Check me in the comments if there's this crazy, crazy situation I forgot about. But look, right. So 
we never saw Brock Purdy coming. I mean, let's go back. Let's just go back in the timeline. Nobody here. predicted this. Let's and just, if you did, you're lying. Yeah, let's just shoot back in the timeline here. Maybe his family, but mine is them. You know, it's like uh, the we. You know, they didn't. The family can claim it. Everyone else, it's like, yeah, absolutely not. So we're shooting back here with Jimmy G in the frame in the beginning. It's like you know, we thought okay, they they were committed to Jimmy G at first, and we didn't even see necessarily Trey coming, and then it starts to be okay. You know, we can see the relationship starting to fall apart. You know, Shani. Shani and Jimmy, you see the you see the writing on the wall. It's not going to work. Oh well, here comes Trey Lance, the new generational, you know, must have. But there was, you know, oh, he's viewed as a risk and yada yada. And what was crazy is at the time, you know, I remember we were very rigid on at least myself is I was like, no, it's got the the guy he's got to want is Mac Jones because I felt that he thought that's who I thought. Random side note, but that's who I thought he wanted to operate his offense, whatever. So I didn't think that that Shanahan was going to be the one to take a shot on Trey Lance. Yeah, knowing how raw again with the talent he had, but it was raw. So, and you knew, truthfully, everyone kind of knew in the back of their mind, potentially a volatile situation. If this goes wrong, again, like you said, in a lot of situations, it could go really wrong, where, and it would have gone really wrong, if not for the seventh round, I mean, basically almost undrafted from Iowa State, and this is just, truthfully, I mean, what, so it's already like a movie script to begin with. Everyone knows this. I mean, it, at this point, it's actually hilarious how much that it really does feel like a movie script out there. The way he's building everything too, he just he, he's just Purdy looks like an underdog, but that's why this is so funny. Is he we've we've turned a corner where I truly believe. I mean, he he's operating the offense at such an elite level, but this is what back brings it back to my thing. Is it is a unique situation in the sense of most quarterbacks that come in and play well, right? If you were playing at Brock Purdy's level when you come in playing at a rookie level, you normally don't have really much else around you. Like, you know, you the O-line, you have maybe a couple guys, but you got to work that in and you got to work in the receiving core and you got to work in a good defensive group, especially good pass rushers, because you didn't normally you don't fall into the situation where you're on a rookie contract or they already have everything else set up. Well, Brock Purdy really is the most rare, unique example I can think of where the guy that they had no intentions of starting at least. probably Yeah, like more. I'm sure when they drafted him, it was much more in the sense of, you know, give me. And I haven't heard uh, where um, Brian Greasy was behind it. Uh, you know, the quarterbacks coach where, where Shani told them, you know, give me a guy where they're talking about on the broadcast the other night uh, where they were saying, like, you know, give me a guy can kind of just under the radar, like probably they were thinking more in a sense of, you know, a good backup. Like if I ever need to really go to someone on short notice, something like that, someone's sick, something like someone's hurt for a week. I got him. Well, no, it's he's in the most unique situation ever. They have the receiving core. They have the O-line. They have the defense. And the 49ers are absolute juggernaut. That's what makes this, though, where it gets really interesting is because. They're probably still going to be in a very good position when it's time to pay him because regardless, the two, three-year window, it's not that big of a fall off where, yes, people are going to start getting older, but you're still going to have the main core and stuff. They're going to have to make the decision right when people are starting to get older, right? It's like, is Purdy the guy? Because he's going to probably want, I mean, sure, a lot of money. He's playing at a very high level. That's what, but I guess if you're Shanahan and you're John Lynch, it's probably a point of like, who really cares at this point? Because- it's money on the table for these next few years. We look at it in a sense of when we watch the Niners right now, the Niners are dominating people. I mean, the Niners looks like at the moment, probably Super Bowl favorites. I think that's pretty consensus right now. Again, you never know. Injuries happen. But I guess, and it seems like that's kind of just how the Niners have been approaching things to us to an extent. Is it's just like, you know what? Let's just stay, stay competitive this year. We're gonna force our hand to stay competitive this year. Do what we gotta do the CMC trade? I remember we were talking about when the CMC trade happened. Yeah. It was very, well, this could go very wrong. You know what? They, they tend to be very, very big risk takers. And I guess it turns out that maybe I'm proving myself even 
wrong where it's like they they just maybe don't overthink it over there. They're like they, they, with, with Trey, it was like, you know what? Let's not overthink it. We think we like him a lot. But then it went terribly wrong. I don't know. Like I said, though, you normally have a guy like this. But then it brings you to the debate of is he like what everyone talks about? Is, is, is he playing like this because of the situation or is, but that's where and then there's so much shit back and forth. Because, again, we've seen Jimmy in this situation. We've seen Trey in the situation. It's like, yeah, you can play well in the situation, but to be honest with you, 100%, Purdy is playing much better than they were in the sense of, he's, I mean, he's just so on time. When, you, it's, when you're watching Purdy at this point, it's like, yeah, you're watching a veteran. Like, he's, he's very on his checks. He's checking everything at the line. He's getting the ball at perfect timing on every route. There's not like, it's not like you're watching a lot of young quarterbacks where, you know, it's like the ball's behind the receiver. Like, he is very, very, like, in that offense, and it looks like he's been running it for a very long time. So. You know, regardless, if you're a Niners fan, you fell into a fantastic situation. The only time at this point it's going to become an issue really is when it's time to pay him. But that's just what makes this. I guess the question I'm asking you is, I think you have strong feelings about this, is it's like, what's your take? Like, and, and to the audience, like, is, the, is he a product of the situation or is the situation elevated by him? Because we know the situation is great regardless. But does he, you know, is he the great elevator or is, the, is this team truly just at its peak where he is playing it at, at the perfect time? Okay. He is elevating the system. He's elevating what he is. And I can't remember who said this, but they basically said, like, if Kyle Shanahan could go out and play quarterback, like, this is what Brock Purdy is doing. And you know why Kyle doesn't get quarterbacks who's going to play, who are going to play out of structure because his offense is so, like, rhythm and time-based and making the right decisions. Like, don't turn the ball over. Like, that's a huge thing. So what I will say is, do I think Brock Purdy would have success outside of the 49ers team? Probably not. Like he could be a backup, but I don't think he's starting on another team. I think the Niners are so elite that it's like, no, no, this is not to discredit Brock Purdy. I think where he's limited is like natural, natural talent. Like, I think he's one of those guys who's so cerebral that like, he will excel because he's just so far ahead. And like, he's so instinctual. But I, I think he makes the Niners elite. But I don't think he himself is elite. I think, here's my thing. I'm with you in the extent of where it's like as of right now. But if he can keep doing this, and here's what I've, my thing I'm looking at this point is, if they can just keep, he showed, if you, get, if you put an O-line around him, yeah. and you give him time, I do think he could start on any team that has a good O line. I do agree, though. If you put him into one of these situations where he could, where some guys have a mobile guy where the O line is not all the way built, he would completely shatter into those in those systems because he, the way he plays, he needs an O line. But yeah. the way he is getting the ball in time and everything, I will admit, he truly does look a lot more competent with the ball than a lot of quarterbacks that have been in the league, even him a lot longer at this point. So it's like I'm, I do, I'm starting to have to give him credit where it's due. Where it's like. I was always very rigid on the train of like that. Yeah, any, almost anybody can do it and look really good. But truthfully, the way he's looking right now, it really is. It, it, the way he looks right now, it, it does. It looks, it looks really good. But that's my thing is I'm not all the way sold on how it would look in a couple years when he gets the bag. That's where it comes to, down to for me is that's where it's going to get interesting. But regardless, let's talk about what's going on right now because, we're, you know, again, we're dealing with the right now. So he leads the league in adjusted net yards per pass attempt okay. at 9.79. He leads the league in QBR at 83.7. Leads the league at QBR at 
or QB rate. Sorry, it's two different things. You know, the QBR and then there's rate, QB rate. Um, no interceptions, nine touchdowns, 1,271 yards. He's thrown it a 72% clip, basically. I mean, these are, I'll say the numbers are elite. And that's my point. It's like, I'm with you. It's like in a lot of other systems, yeah, it's certainly not like anything like this. But if you give him, he's proven it. Like if you give him an O-line, and if anything too, the defense is playing really well. But I think regardless, you know, they, the, the Niners offense can do what they want. And they haven't even really had to get into like a shootout type situation. No. I think if you made the man, I believe that we could see Brock really go sling for like 350, 40 yards. It's just that he really has not been, it's like they haven't really had to. I want to see say, him in an average situation. We'll see it. We will see a time where he's got to shoot out or something like that. And I think if if I if he if I can just see one of those or a couple of those from him, I think at that point it will be an undeniable for me that, man, maybe you know what? Regardless, he he's playing at a special level. But I just need to see at this point. That's what I need to see from him. Yeah, I don't want to hate on Brock Purdy, and I'm not at all. I just I don't know. Like he's playing on another level right now. And I think what you said about paying him, I think I think that's really the kryptonite, right? Because it's like, let's say you're paying him. I mean, with the numbers he's putting up, what you have to pay him at least, what, $45 million a year. Like, well, but side note, now that I'm thinking about this, right? Like, and I didn't think about it until just now. But you know what? I can also see Brock being the type of guy, where again, the type of situation he's in too, where it's kind of like mutual. Like, you know what? You really took a chance giving me this job and like yeah. we, we're working together for each other's success. How about I pull a Brady and like, I'm willing to take a fat discount, still good starter numbers, but like, give me like 20 mil less than the guy who's leading where it's like, I'm willing to make this work so that you guys can still pay the guys that are willing to. And I could totally see him doing that. If they win a Super Bowl and being like, I, you know what? I agree that I'm a product of the system. Let's keep it going that way. I, but I, here's my thing. If that, say, if that happens, then this could keep going for a long time. Let's say they don't win the Super Bowl this year. Let's say they don't win it next year, okay? Let's say he's in his contract year in 2025, and they haven't won a Super Bowl. They've made deep runs. I'm not taking that pay cut. Because why am I getting paid the least, and we don't, we're not winning at all? No, that's why. No, the and pressure's I'm one of the best. On, the pressure's on Shaney. Because I'm sure, to be honest... They probably have discussed that internally. Like the pressure's really on to yeah. like make this, make the, you know, the, the, the future potential dynasty. What well, you get my point, not dynasty, yeah. but like really long term run of, of success with this man. It's got to start with us winning a ring and getting him on a, a team friendly deal. I agree. I, I just think like, in my opinion, like what I was listening, I can't remember who was saying this, but it was like, you shouldn't cut teams deals. Because it's like, unless you're Brady, like, here's my thing is like, Daniel Jones, in my opinion, is now worth 40 million a year. I mean, I know that low line is atrocious, but at the end of the day, like, that's the quarterback market we're living in. And here's what I will say. Okay. The 49ers remind me of, or I mean, a team I'm going to talk about later, the Lions. Like, the Lions remind me of the 49ers, where it was kind of like we talked about the McCaffrey trade, you know and this is kind of like my own fault is everyone. I feel like for the last couple of years has been so analytical. Like, Oh no, you don't take this position. Like you don't pay this position, but bro, if they're the best player on the field, like you have the best player on the field. Like this is how I feel about the lions. Like they just got the best players. Like it doesn't matter their position. They just have the best players. So with the 49ers, that's that is my worry about if you pay Brock Purdy because they're already strapped for cash right now and they're not paying the quarterback. So if you pay the quarterback, 
are the weapons and line around him going to be good enough? That's 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 the whole thing about the Niners is going to be very interesting to watch. But also, it's- especially if they don't win the Super Bowl, because that is really what's going to be the deterrent for me. If I'm Brock Purdy, if I'm taking less money, if I'm winning and you're building my legacy. Maybe I take 10, 15 mil less. If we're not winning Super Bowls and I don't have a ring and I'm getting paid a million dollars to run one of the best teams in the NFL, I don't know if I can do it. And like my thing is at that point where he gets paid, because my thing is Ayuk needs a contract and they just paid Bosa. So is Debo out the door? Is Trent Williams still playing? Um, is fucking George Kittle still playing? Like there's a lot out there. Like no. those are very key players. And honestly, we so we don't we go back in time, you know, a little time travel here for a sec. Again, with the Patriots same concept, when they got Brady in in, they got that ring right away where it was like, hey, look, look, you know, we can do this again. We can do this again. It's to your point, if the Niners don't do that, completely different. You can't guarantee nothing if he ever already got to the top of the mountain. No, no. But yeah, no, I think Brock Purdy, I mean, just to kind of unless you have anything else like. No, I think we had all the bases all, I want to touch on. All but. I want to say is like. It has taken me a while to come around on Purdy and it has never been like the hatred of him or like that I didn't like him. My thing is like all these people calling him elite when like, don't get me wrong. Like, I think he makes the system that he's in elite, but I don't think he is elite. You know, like no, I any other situation like let's throw fucking Brock Purdy on shit. Even the fucking Vikings. Is he doing half of what he's doing even with Jay Jettas? I don't know. Interesting situation. You have a, a middle line, no run game. Like, I don't know. I really think CMC takes them over the top. No, absolutely. That, and that's the main thing. So that's why, th- if anything, th- we have to let this one marinate. And we're going to come back to, we'll, we'll definitely come back to this uh, discussion once he gets paid. All right. Moving into something I want to talk about briefly. The end of the Patriots dynasty. So I was looking at some stats this past well, today, <laughs> the day we're recording it. <laughs> and, um, you know, the Patriots just got blown out two weeks in a row, held scoreless this week against the New Orleans Saints. The Dallas Cowboys burn them out 38 to three. Just a horrible look for Bill Belichick. Mac Jones was benched twice in the last two games. Now, obviously, if the game's out of hand. You might as well sit your QB one, but. Why can't your offense move the ball? So just some things I wanted to take a look at out here. Okay. So the last time the Patriots finished outside of first, I I split this up between the post Brady era and then the Brady era. So the post Brady era is 2020 to 2023. Okay. The Brady era, I started in 2001 all the way to 2019. Okay. So the last time the Patriots finished outside first in the division was 2008. And the last time the Patriots finished other than second was 2000. So only twice in like a 20 year span have they not been first in their division. Okay. That is crazy. There was never a negative point differential in the Brady era. There has been two in the post Brady era in just four years. And right now they're at negative 76. The only team worse than them, I believe. Let me, you know what? Let me. Let me just do this right now. I believe. Um, okay, I, I'm not going to pull it up because I can't. Figure, but it's the Giants. I believe the Giants is. I the think only, there's a real good shot. You're right on that one. Yeah, it is only the Giants. I knew it was. I, I knew it was. I just want to confirm. The pay. The Patriots are currently 32nd in points scored this year, 
and they have never finished outside the top 12 in the Brady era. In 2021, the Pats were sixth, but outside of that, they have not finished higher than 17 in the out of all the four years. And outside of this year, the defense has ranked pretty similarly to in general how it was in the Brady era. So basically, with all this said, if the Patriots go on to finish this year with a sub-500 record, will they move on from Mac Jones? Will they fire Bill Belichick? Brady went on to win a Super Bowl in Tampa Bay. When the first year, was it the first year he left, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was the first year he left. And Bill only has one wild card loss to show for it. Where do the Patriots go from here? We've reiterated this over and over again. The defense is still good. The offense is eh. There's no identity. There's no star playmaker. Mac Jones is eh. They've constantly moved their offensive coordinators around. Bill O'Brien, fucking Matt Patricia. I don't know why that was happening. It's just like kind of what we were just talking about with Sean Payton and Drew Brees. Like Belichick has been in charge of player personnel. So like what like after Brady is gone, like show me something good they've done. See, that's that's my thing that makes this such a problematic issue. I think I'll address it how I'm looking at it right now. I think what I would start doing is, and I'm not, I'm literally gonna give this to you exactly how I'm looking at it. I tell Bill, look, because I'm no if I'm the if I'm craft, I'm like, look, man, this dude can coach his ass off when he's got the QB, right? Right. I'm like, look, I just gotta get him the QB. Not only that. I got to take away some of the stuff I've given him. And by that, what I mean, you're saying like he's in charge of the whole player personnel. I think we got, you got to be like, look, man, you know, they got to have a real sit down heart to heart, but it's gonna be like, bro, look, I know you can coach your ass off. But what I got to do is, is I got to let you have more time to focus on just that. Let me, let me, let me give the player personnel direction to someone else. But I'll tell you what, because he, we know Belichick can scope that, scout the hell out of D-backs. I'll be like, look, you can still have all the input on D-backs. Like you tell me what D-backs you're looking at. Your, your word means all to me on that. But these other position groups like receiver, all the other stuff. We're going to let someone else, we're going to let a whole other group take care of that because it's analytic based nowadays. And a lot of other stuff that they look at, it's not, it's just different. Times have changed, right? So I'd be like, look, I still want you to coach the team because we know Belichick can coach. You just got to get him the guy, right? He, they definitely don't, they definitely don't have that right now. So it's like, my thing is, it's just not a, it's a completely unfavorable situation for him regardless. I mean, it is right now, coach the Patriots, regardless of who you are, is going to be a very, very tough assignment. Cause we, like we said, they have no number ones. The whole line's kind of falling apart. Like that is his fault. No, and that's my thing is I'm saying like that's why I agree. It's like, but the, the, they let him have too much rain to an yeah. extent. Like it's like that's that that's a real thing that happened in life is you give someone too much too much room to like step their ground, even if they're really good at what they started doing or what they do, and they start trying to do too much and it's a mess, right? You gotta like just let him do what he's really good at. I'd be like, look, man, you want to? I'm gonna take this away from you if you want to leave. If you think that's insulting? Like go ahead and walk out. But it's not like that. I want you to still be here and coach, right? I'd be like, be honest, like I want you here. It's just not working. I just can't have you doing a lot of extra shit. But let me ask but you this like, though, Dobbs, like. I think there is such a thing of like, I don't think he's adapted enough to the modern NFL. And like, but that's, I think sometimes that may just be like, either he needs a change of scenery or like he just may be cooked. But it's also like you're saying, and it is his fault because all the guys he keeps bringing in, that's where it really needs to change. And like you said, with anything, none of this stuff can be his decision anymore. I don't think in terms of like, yeah, like maybe let him get some input, but not like how it was before where he's like, no, I want this in my OC and I want this in my DZ. Clearly, yeah, to your point on that, he is outdated in terms of who he wants on the roster and the type of maybe certain, especially the offensive schemes that he's targeting. Yeah, certainly are not favorable for a lot of quarterbacks nowadays. And yeah, they, they that's the main thing is where it comes from for the Patriots dynasty is 
and this is just my opinion. You know, if anyone else says, you know, I have a different opinion, I completely respect it. I just, my opinion, I would keep Bill as only the coach. And I'd give him, the, and I'd, I'd be rigorous in the, in the terms of like, look, man, you're not going to have all this other stuff you used to have. It's like you either take going back to just the pure coach role and that it is what it is. And, and you let us start to like really develop a modern team around you. Yeah. Or we, or we got to start fresh. Because again, worst case scenario of starting fresh, and honestly, that's why I think a lot of Patriots fans favor that nowadays, bro. Like, I think they're kind of ready to move on to an extent. So I think no matter how you're looking See, at it, it's not really a, be- a worst, it's not really a worst case scenario because you either let Bill coach his ass off again and he's willing to do it and is able to do it, or you know what? Time is, time really has a way of always bringing things back to, it has to be how it has to be, right? Like, they, eventually the Patriots were going to have to suck again and they were going to have to go through a period of change and it is what it is. So it's like... Yeah, see, so here's my thing with that. While I do agree, and Patriots fans may be ready, and maybe they're just ready to move on. Maybe they want a new start. When you grow up with Bill Belichick and Tom Brady like being your guy, I remember when they had Mac Jones after his rookie year, and everyone's like, oh, yeah, we're good. Oh, I vividly remember too. It's just like when you have success for so long, you 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 tend to become jaded and don't understand how hard it is in the NFL to get things right. So my thing is like, Patriots fans, are you really ready to move on from one of the best coaches of all time? That's and that's what no to this point, I want to add on to this. I've been hearing a lot of Patriots fans recently. Like on this whole, like, it's like this sorrow train, like, well, no, none of these games meet. It's like, hold on a minute. Like, it's like you said, from other Fabian's perspective, bro, appreciate the games you have. Like, football is football at the end of the day, yeah. man. Like, you know what? You know, be appreciative if you've got a winning team, but you got to show up from regardless, man. A little side note section for a minute, but this is real stuff. Like, a lot of people, and Patriots specifically, there are a lot of fan bases that will get spoiled too early on in their fandom, too. It actually almost ruins the sport for you going forward. Yeah. If you're not grounded, if you're not a grounded individual. Because then you expect it every year. And look, man, you got to love football. Real talks. This, this is random. Not exactly the Patriots dice at all. But you got to love football for football. Yeah. Like, you can't just love it because your team's winning. And to that point, it's like, if you're a Patriots fan, you got to stick with them and understand that, yeah, of course this was going to happen post-Brady. Like, this was, the writing was on the wall for this to happen. And I'll admit, Mac did look pretty damn good his rookie year. But again, situations have changed. Certain injuries happened. And, but that's and, the thing and too, coordinators they- keep changing. And regardless of if he can develop a good skill set for the league in the future, which I still think could happen, I don't think the Patriots is, is the spot for it. It's going to be like some fresh start yeah. shit for Mac Jones at this point, right? Like, I'm just, I almost look at him like he could be like a Tannehill-esque career arc. You don't think he could operate the Jets offense? Well, like that's what I'm saying is like to be realistic. Yeah, there's a lot of situations right now where you put Mac Jones, he'd look a lot better. That's why I want to be clear. Like now with that O line, I give him a lot I, of slander. I, don't, I thought about no, that's that. true, but yeah. I give Mac a lot of slander, and he's playing really bad compared to his rookie year. But the reality situation objectively is too. He's in a really tough situation to play in. They have a really bad receiving core, really bad O line group right now, which I sounds weird to say an injured group. So it's like the running back core is not good. I loved Ramondre. He's not playing good this year. We Zeke is not who he used to be. The reality situation is it's just the Patriots themselves are a complete shell of themselves. And every Patriots fan knows it. It's not even like this is a shot at them. It's the reality of the situation. But again, like we're talking about, it's like, how do we, how does the situation turn around? I do believe that that would be best case getting Bill to buy back in to just coaching. You know, you're getting older. Let's just be realistic for a second. So you're getting older. Why do you want a million things on your plate? Sometimes as you get older, you maybe need to have a little less on your plate. Let us, you know, trust, trust, have some trust in the organization to an extent that we're going to put the right stuff around you. And then it's just got to go from there. But if he's not willing to do that, then you got to start fresh. Yeah, I really do think this could be like the end of an era. I think, honestly, like the new 
team is going to be the chiefs. Like, obviously like this has been discussed, like we've kind of known this, but um, I just don't, I just don't see the Patriots bouncing back anytime soon in a division like the AFC East where you have such young talent in other teams. And like I said, Patriots fans just know if you let Bill Belichick go and Mac Jones go, what you are walking into. Could you not see, let's be realistic for a second, two side note. Last thing on this, we'll, we'll move on. But I mean, can you not see them telling Bill to get lost and then see him going to like RB like, all right, bet and finding a team that's looking for a coach with the roster that's ready to compete. Yeah. And then no, out of nowhere definitely. just having the best defense and their QB looks really good. And you're like, oh yeah, maybe that's why. Uh, yeah, that shouldn't okay. happen. Let's, let's do this right now. Actually, let's go through all the NFL teams. You know, no, here, here's what we'll do. We'll go to NFL teams. We'll go to their standings and we'll grab like teams that are at the bottom. Okay. And we'll see if they would need a new coach. Panthers, would he go there? I think you still got to give Frank a little more time. Yeah, I don't like Frank Reich, but I don't think I. Don't, we have to decide if they're getting a new coach, and also if Bill Belichick would go exactly, there. Exactly, exactly. So Broncos not going to happen. Cards just from the optics, the Broncos literally cannot happen. They, no, they, there's no chance. I mean, they're too invested in Peyton and Russ. Cards, no way. Pats are already low. Giants, no way. Vikings, no way. Yeah, it's like it's that's just again from the optics to it's like if the Vikings did that after they finally look like they got the it's like you can't and you just fired Zimmer if you yeah you you can't realistically and I don't even think it's an opening because I think it's the enemy's team if Ron Rivera leaves the commanders might be the only team in my opinion that Bill would probably fit on I mean that's like the only team that really would need a coach like that no I mean the Cowboys. Could you imagine though? Because yes, the thing is, like, like from let's be realistic for a second. If you were Jerry and the team has another mediocre year, and by mediocre I mean just winning one playoff game and not doing anything else. So the, for the standard of this team, that's what mediocre would be. I mean, if you have Bell and, and you and Bell is, I mean, it's like he's sitting on your lap. Like let's say he gets fired and you have a decision to make. Are you not bringing him in? Because I'll to. tell you what I certainly would. Because my decision at that point would be like, look, especially if you're Jerry, I'm getting older, man. It's like I want to see this team win one more fucking ring. My best shot is to bring in Bill at that point. Again, that's all hypothetical. Yeah, but. So Washington and Dallas, the Dallas ones kind of got me thinking. Dallas, you can, can you see him winning a ring with that no. simulation breaking shit, bro? I mean, that defense is like That's, if you get him and Dan Quinn working together, yeah. you could low key see special results on that defense. That would look that, that would be the first couple that weeks. would definitely be something Jerry Jones would do. I always saw him, you. This is what I'm saying is like it, it sounds crazy, but it's not. No, which is why it low key. Oh fuck, we're like on to something. It's like a prime Cowboys move. So the next thing I wanted to discuss, and not only did I want to discuss it, truthfully at this point, it needs to be discussed because they are truly doing this man such a disservice. He's playing his best season, in my opinion, he's ever played in the league. And yes, I'm saying when you put this in tangent with MVP season, because yes, the MVP season was special on the ground. And yes, yes, Lamar MVP. But let me just say, in terms of passing, in terms of decision making, in terms of him actually throwing the ball, this is his best year so far. And his receiving core, the Ravens receiving core, uh, a bunch of sellers. It's becoming a hot topic, and it has to, because this falls, in my opinion, on the organization's shoulders, right? This was a thing we all kind of saw coming, and by we, I just mean the NFL populace as a whole. If you're into the NFL, it's kind of like, yeah, the Ravens have, like we said, like we said last week, they're, they're really, really solid at like everything, and they're not a lead anything, but if you had to pick out the, the group that's like, oh man, it's the receiving core. 
And there's been a little, you know, there's always been like optimism here and there. Like, oh, is Bateman going to make the jump? Like, oh, we added Zay Flowers. Like Zay Flowers is for sure like a certified number one, yada, yada. And don't get me wrong. I think Zay has great upside. And I think Zay's going to be good this year for a long period of time. However, right now this year, he's clearly not an absolute go-to number one in a plenty of situations. He's, it just is what it is, as we've seen. So we're in a situation now where the Ravens are completely ready to compete for the Lombardi, but you got a group of receivers that genuinely, I think they come out with like, I don't know what, if they were like holding like a, a beef jerky stick or something, or like <laughs> eating something like that with the gloves on pregame is, is looking like this somebody who's always passing out the wrong snacks or something because every single receiver this has been a problem at this point I, where they all, I mean, the drop rate is out of control last week specifically. So many balls Lamar was delivering right on the money. I mean, literally like touchdown balls where it's like, and just inexcusable. Two touchdowns are yeah. dropped. No, and that's, and, that, and that's just not just this game, but that what, two two from this game. So we're at a point now where genuinely they're taking multiple touchdowns off the board for him, taking up hundreds of yards off the board, literally. Where, where do you kind of, where does this offense go? Because again, like we were saying back to the whole before the year thing, the writing on the wall was, look, right, signing OBJ sounds cool. Right. But if he can't stay healthy and he doesn't come back playing like he was before the injury, really, what is this receiving core? And this is what it is a group of solid blockers that have butterfingers. And unfortunately, like I said, I'm giving Zay the benefit of the doubt. Zay's young, good talent. I think Zay looks like how a lot of young receivers look. You know, they're inconsistently consistent and they make splash plays. And he does the right things you want to see from him. And he's got great talent, but he's not number one right now. And for a Super Bowl contending team, I just think, to be honest, they've put Lamar into a dire situation. Where, like I'm saying, and you know, he's playing at his best level. Uh, so let's pull again, we'll pull up the you know, the stats from this year. So, this year so far, Lamar's thrown 10,000 or yeah, 10,030 yards. He's thrown it basically a 70% clip. The four touchdowns, the two interceptions again, the touchdown number should be much higher. And then, my apologies, the way this and we go down to the rushing again, 265 yards on the ground, four rushing touchdowns. You know, he puts up 50. I don't hold my apologies. But yeah, 53 yards a game, basically, yeah, on average. And so it's like, we know what Lamar does with his legs. Lamar's amazing. Lamar should be winning more games, and it's because this receiving... I mean, they should have beat the Steelers this week, right? Your team that should be 4-1. and one. This, And that's worst-case scenario, where, you know, normally you can kind of like... If you, if you blame one guy, it's tough, and it's like, yeah, but it feels better that you can just put it on one guy. When you're the Ravens at this point, you're like four guys every single week that are playing 40-plus snaps a week where you're putting it all of them. And you're like, yeah, I'm terrified of all those guys touching the ball. Terrible situation to be in. So what's your opinion on, on how the Ravens need to handle this? What, what, where do they go from here? What, what's the situation looking like in the future? Yeah, so here's my opinion on this. I like Zay Flowers. I like OBJ. I am indifferent on Rashad Bateman and indifferent on Aguilar. And it's just like... It feels like Lamar, the main reason he held out is not because of the guaranteed money, but because like they had refused to put an offense around him. And I think Lamar knew who he was, and he was probably like, I'm not going to continue to go out here and carry the offense and then be told I'm not I'm the issue, not by the Ravens organization, but by the media and all that stuff. Can he throw the ball? Can he do this? And then, you know, he's PFF's second-graded passer this year, right behind Jared Goff. And you know how electric Jared Goff and the Lions offense is looking. So I guess my thing is, like, 
I don't know, man. Like they went and got him guys, but no, no. He, like imagine Lamar with like a DJ Moore. Like what Justin is being able to do with DJ Moore has like even these last just these last two games has really like changed your perception of like possibly what Justin can do. And the guys they got him, it's just like Zay Flowers isn't a number one to me. Like I would have rather them went with Jordan Addison. He's a great slot. He's a great. That's exactly. But and and to your point, it's like this with the DJ Moore thing. This does this not feel like deja vu? Has this not been every year of his career? We're like, oh wow! Imagine if they just gave him any type of elite talent at the receiver. I mean, we keep having to imagine. They refuse. I mean, they and dropped that's what's seven balls on Sunday. Here's what makes no sense too. They gave OBJ a bag. Why didn't you give the bag to someone who was going to produce at that level? They it sh- doesn't even make sense to me. I would have rather them traded that first round pick and like maybe like a third for T Higgins. Well, that's, and, that, and don't get me wrong. I, I know Ravens are going to be like, well, it was just a one year bag. Yeah. Well, guess what? It's still one year. It's 15 million out the door. Regardless, you might as well give the 15 million to somebody over a three year period that you were actually faithful that it was going to be long. Like there was going to be longevity. Well, then honestly, it just pushes the problem till next year because let's say they don't, let's say they win a playoff game this year. Okay, you're back to Zay Flowers being your wide receiver one. Like, are you going to draft another first round receiver? Like, are you like, you have to go. Mark Andrews, to me, like, he's really good, too. And like, you always got to throw him in there as like a pass catcher. But like, I just think also another thing, too, that we're not talking about, like, while you're talking about the pass catchers is like, their running backs can never stay healthy. And like, I like Gus Edwards, Gus Edwards is next as much as the next guy. And like, I've never been too high on JK Dobbins. And I've kind of been like, you know, go get like a, a better running back in there. I almost feel like we could see like the Ravens elevate. If they got like a top town guy, like imagine throwing like a Saquon or a Josh Jacobs in that offense. I would rather they give them 15 million than OBJ. So that, you know what? Fuck it. I didn't even, wasn't even thinking about it. But not only yet, now that you're mentioning it, it just adds insult to injury because they've never given the man, truthfully, and this is the thing, let me, so I'm respectful to him because I loved him coming out of college. You know, J.K. Dobbins, he, and he talented guy, very, you know, he's got a great skill set. He just can't stay healthy. And when you got a guy with a great skill set that can't stay healthy, the skill set at the moment is as good as useless, right? Yeah. My point when I'm saying this is the Ravens have literally never given this man any elite, anybody at the elite in the backfield or or in, in front of him. No. They, and, and to the point now, I'm bringing it up on the side. Let's just call for what it is. Tyler Linderbaum is the only good, is the only offensive line playing good on the team right now, right? It's like, and he's still making it work. They still are a good offense. They're, they're making it work. Don't worry, they're not a battle line. I'm just saying that he's playing it at a, like a very, where you're like there, he's playing at a really good level. As you point at Tyler Linderbaum. My point why I'm saying this, again, all this stuff is comes back to, if you gave the man even just one elite and above, really above average running back, even to your point, because I love Gus. But yes, you know, you want to see maybe Gus being a tangent with someone else who's a little more electric. You give him a little little zoom and boom kind of combo. They don't have that. If you just had anything like that, but that's why I'm getting pissed off is it keeps having to be, imagine Lamar with this. Why can't the Ravens just go like, yeah, I'm tired of imagining. Let's have the most electric offense in the league. If you imagine if you give Mike McDaniel Lamar right now, I mean, I'm just, you get my point oh, all of that, but you get my point. I'm saying like, the Ravens not want to be in a situation like that. Clearly fucking not. I Yeah, I don't really understand like, don't get me wrong. Their defense is really, really good. And, but am I like, like you said, like they just can't stay healthy. I just, uh, you know, it's kind of like 
a little bit reminiscent of kind of like the Patriots offense. It's like, uh, we don't need these guys. We're good enough. That, and I was, I literally was just thinking about that. And I see the big difference and the only difference really to an extent is just you, you, a guy like Tom, you can force him to work like that. He's yeah. never going to move. With Lamar, it's like you can't force him just sit still and wait for these really slow receivers to make their break and maybe get open. Like it just, because that's the way Lamar doesn't play that same way. Like you no. say, he, Lamar's not like, yes, he has cerebral moments and all that. But in a sense, he does not play like the Brock Purdy style, the Brady style, like check, 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 check. It's more like, I'm going to check, I'm going to start moving, I'm going to feel out of the pocket. Like that's just how he is. That's how, Every quarterback has to play their strengths. That has to be Lamar. That is Lamar. And don't get me wrong, he's been killing in the pocket this year. I'm just saying, you don't want to force him to have to be a statue. It's no. That's stupid. When you have someone like him and his talent, you got to use it accordingly, right? That's yeah. what it comes down to. It's just like, yeah, I mean, I don't really have much else to say on this. It's just like, you've really re- exhausted, I feel like, your options at receiver. If uh, at, Nelson Aguilar is like a good number five. Like, it's just like, uh, they got him help, but I just think like, like kind of like, not not in the same sense, but the same like process of like when polls traded for Claypool for the Bears, right idea, wrong execution. Like it, oh, and, and a lot of people saw the fucking writing on the wall again for that. Like we were definitely people again. We I was I think you guys were trying to you probably trying to be more favorable towards it because yeah, you know, the yeah. team were in the receiving end. You're not going to be d- non optimistic for no reason. Right? We had to. We had. But to. the reality of the time was like I'm looking at. It, I'm like, dude, that could be like any receiver you want basically outside the first round at worst case scenario. Yeah. It's like what the. I don't know. That's yeah. Just the, yeah. They definitely did. Uh, Josh Downs could have been. Yeah. It's just. Uh, yeah, it should have been Joey Porter Jr. To be honest. But yeah. Joey uh, Porter Jr. Should have been a bear. That would have day. Uh, so fucked up. But yeah, no, I mean, that's all you had on the Ravens. No. Yeah. I think we, again, we covered all the bases though. And yeah. the last thing I was, again, I didn't even include Mark Andrews just because yeah, Mark Andrews is a beast, but again, you can't, if you're just giving your, this, it's literally the Patriots 2.0 fake Patriots, like you were saying, but you cannot expect Lamar to make a masterclass of that because that's just not the style that you want to force him to play. It just all comes down to. You got to let the man play to his strengths as you should. Moving into my last topic of the day, I just want to talk about the rise of the Detroit Lions. They're four and one right now. Four and one. the crystal ball. So let's just, let's give a little bit background on the Lions. Brad Holmes, their GM, and Dan Campbell, their head coach, they were hired in 21. Ben Johnson's been with the team a little bit longer, but he was really promoted to the OC role in 2022. So, in uh, 2021, they're three thirteen and one. Okay, last year they're nine and eight. This year they are four and one. Okay, so let's before we look at these records. Okay, let's separate them out into two time periods because, as we know, the Lions started off the 2022 season pretty bad. Like I believe it was one and six or something like that. They're getting so close every game. It's bro, they're fucking up. <laughs> so all right, let's let's start in 2021. And we'll go to week nine or week week eight, my apologies, of 2022. Okay. The record at that point would be four, 19, and one. So that's 24 games with a winning percentage of 0.187. Atrocious, damn near war crime, fireable offense. If you were to just look at the numbers, okay. After that, from week nine of 2022 to the present, they are 12 and three. That is 15 games with an 800 winning percentage. Okay. 
Through that time, they've had some very notable draft picks since 21. Mind you, this is when the new regime is in. And three to four players every year have been contributors. Panay Sewell in 21, Aline McNeil, Amon Ross St. Brown. We see what they're all doing. Both of them have... Sewell and St. Brown have really blossomed. McNeil's more coming to his own this year. 22, they had two first-round picks. Aiden Hutchinson. J-Mo with an asterisk. We we really don't know what he's going to be. Malcolm Rodriguez, Kirby Joseph. This year, Jameer Gibbs, Jack Campbell, Sam Laporta, Brian Branch. All four of these guys have been really good. Really good. This is like that Saints 20, uh, it was 2017 or 18. Very similar type of class from the Lions. Side note. So this is just to say that like they also had a pretty good 2023 free agency class getting Monty in there and he's been great for them. Great change of pace back from like what Jimmy Gibbs. Is I was supposed so to be. wrong. I'll give credit. I, I Bro, would say I admit what I'm wrong. wrong. I was wrong. Wrong. Very wrong. That was very worth jaded the money. as a Bears fan too. I did not think he was this good. I, 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 I knew he was that good, but like, he really is a workhouse behind, behind a good old line. Oh, my God. He's ridiculous. He really is. So here's my thing. In a time where the NFC North is wide open and with A-Rod leaving, QB questions in Chicago, Kirk being on the last year of his deal, the Lions are really set up to succeed for the next two, three years. Depending on how the Bears come around and depending how Jordan Love pans out. Anyway, Goff has played well under Ben Johnson. And he's put up like more than respectable numbers. And the main point I want to make about this is this rebuild feels really different than a lot of other rebuilds because they, they really started in 21. If you think about it and their draft picks were kind of questioned at the time, especially this year, taking the linebacker and the running back in the first round. But at the end of the day, the lions literally just took, the best players. They didn't care about anything else. They didn't look at the position shit. They didn't look at all that. They said, we want the best players. Jameer Gibbs, best player available. I mean, Bijan was gone. I think I think you can separate Bijan from the rest of the running backs. Jameer Gibbs, best player. Jack Campbell, best linebacker. Sam Laporta, arguably best tight end. Brian Branch, fact that he fell out of the first round. Best hybrid. Like, we, we didn't really know what he was going to be yeah. at the time, but it was like just best, best Swiss Army. So it's like, you have four starters that you drafted this year in the first round to second round. Were Sam Laporta third, third round? No, second. second I believe, okay. I, I'll, I'm gonna, hold on. I, I'm almost certain he was second. I'm just going to fact check Basically, this. Basically, my point is in a, in, a, in a league full of analytics and like positional value. Yeah, second. Maybe it's just, maybe just don't overthink it because that's really seems to be what the Lions have done. And like, you see how golf's playing like they can win with golf, you know, a quick little, you know, I think we're really killing it on the side notes today. We're going crazy in the side notes today. You know what? Side note here again. Draw it up. You know, with Jack Campbell, we're, we've had an interesting time period with uh, with the NFL um, where I think and just football in, as a whole where linebackers are still really, really valuable. But for whatever reason, it's just become like the mass like like I'm trying to think of the right word here. What, what's the word like consensus? Like the people just kind of like, yeah, you know, like just kind of like forget about the linebackers. They're not the most, you know, just you kind of like think about them last when you're building a defense. Hear me out. Uh, we look at all the best defensive units in the league. 
uh, not all of, actually, yeah, almost all of, and you could look, you point out the guy that's the, that's the Mike linebacker that dominates the entire thing. They call out all the audibles. They do, I'll name a bunch of free right now. We got Demario Davis, Matt Milano, Fred Warner. Like you need that guy. You need that guy on the defense. And for whatever reason, teams just don't even think about it. The Lions said, fuck it. I'm getting my mic. Give me him. Give me my play. Give me my signal caller. I need him. You know what? Fucking looks great now. And I was one questioning at the time too. So we were at the draft, like, oh, what the hell are the well, Lions the Jameer doing? One still, and, and the thing is, don't get me wrong, it's gonna, it is gonna look good. The Jameer one right now is still one where you could look at it and scratch your head to an extent because with how Monty's playing, truthfully, they could have honestly hit this probably regardless even harder if they took another insta starter. Where, but that's the thing is, it, I'm just saying that now. When Jameer starts getting more starting touches, and if Monty were to get injured, and Jameer goes for 150 and has 100 receiving yards, you know, my opinion's gonna switch instantly. So it's just like. He just hasn't really had a chance to shine yet. But you get my point. Regardless, the Lions could have hit either way, and they went crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, imagine they took Christian Gonzalez. Yeah. So, well, you, I could, we, could think of even, we could think of even more things. Correct me if I'm wrong. They could have taken Jalen Carter. I mean, if they, I don't know. No, not, no, no. Well, I mean, if they would have moved up, yeah. If, if they didn't drop no, that's all the right, way to that's 12, right. that's they right. would I, I forgot. I keep forgetting, okay, that they dropped. Uh, my apologies. But yes, they originally could have. That's what, yeah. Man, so. if they would have took Jalen Carter... Why did they not? <laughs> I get why they didn't. I get why they didn't. Because, like, Campbell's whole thing has been, like, no turds. No, right. I, I just, get it. I get it. I get it. I, we, we can argue the Jalen Carter pick for a lot of teams. Again, but, honestly, I do think he really did. We won't even go in it for long. He, he really just did fall to the best situation. Truthfully, maybe one of the situations. It just had to be the Eagles. And I was also thinking about, like, the Claypool shit and how bad that went, how quick it did. I'm like, uh, I don't know how Jalen would have did here if that's. It truly case. was just like a, a football divine intervention. The football yeah. gods were like, no, nah, dude, he needs to go to a team that just like already is together. Yeah, but uh, no, I mean, I just there wasn't really much behind this other than the highlight, like how well the Lions have done with this rebuild, and especially with it only being like really like two and a half years, it really shows you don't need like. I mean, obviously, that Stafford trade jump-started them. And, and this is what I will say. This is kind of what gives me hope for the Bears. How quick they were able to turn it around. And it was really jump-started by having a lot of draft capital. If they get the number one pick and they keep Justin... Look how Goff turned it around. That's what I was just... I, was just, I wouldn't even have to say it now. Like, but Goff it- is 28, 29. He turned it around. And we, we were questioning Goff at a much later point in his stage of development than Justin was. You remember when we were questioning what when he was like 26, where it was like, he might be falling off the rails. Yeah. Talking about Goff. And you you net two, three first rounders for the first overall pick. And like, if you put a really good O-line around Justin, which is that needs to be priority at this point. Darnell looks really good. You got like, but now you got to like really if, hone if that If Tevin can stay healthy, Nate Davis oh, can stay pro. healthy. If he can stay healthy. I mean, it's at this point. That's what I'm saying. Like they have maybe three, four pieces already figured out. That's why it's like the Bears are like, it started to come together, but that's, they need another, you need, I'll stand on it forever. Every great team in history is always that they always have it. You need at least two very formidable tackles. Yeah. And, I and mean, you're at the well, point the, you're playing, like you, cause you already have the journal right now. You need another guy across from him. Get where it's Olu. Like, wait, what? Olu oh, yeah. oh, or Joe Alt no, this year. I, that's the thing. You know what? That would be the, I've been thinking that is certainly the best case scenario for you guys is getting one of those guys because it's not the flashy stuff. Well, I guarantee and we know it. You know, too. It's that's the stuff that wins you championships. Yep. You need those picks. Yep. So, yeah, no, that this was much more just a highlight. Like, congrats to the Lions, man. They did this right. Like, I know it's only like they're five games in, but they they did this. They did this the right way. And like, it's very commendable to see like a franchise who has been so down in the dumps 
pick themselves back up so quickly. So they were yeah. right on cue for our narratives too. Like yeah, yeah. The hot lines narrative started hot last lions. year. They were letting us completely down. Maybe the Bears are going to be on the same arc. Is it deja vu? Bro, but I, I still think Eberflus has to go. Oh, yeah. No, there certainly is a keen difference where with the Lions, we were like, man, Dan is so fucking close, man. Just give him a chance. With Eberflus, it's like, I think this motherfucker's the reason. Yeah. yeah. This shit's ship, this ship is shit. You know, it's completely flooded. The, the, the walls have burst from the inside. Final thing I want to talk about today. I'm sure all the, I'm sure every Bills fan out there is going to agree with me completely at this point. You know, we know that any given Sunday, the Bills can be a dominant team. But it feels like if you're a Bills fan, you probably want to see more continuity. You want to see more consistency from this team, right? You know, it's starting for me to feel like, and I'm trying to think of the right team to compare them to from the past. But you know, there's always those teams every year. It could be even any sport where you're like, yeah, you know, they got juice. But the reality is, is they never have juice long enough and consistently enough to ever deliver on anything crazy. That's how it's starting to feel with the Bills. Because for, I look at it from a playoff run perspective, right? The Bills, like I'm saying, they go out and they still score 48, 50, 55, whenever, whenever. It's like randomly. But then there will always inevitably be a time within a week or two weeks after that they just lay, not lay an egg, but they like, you know, they, they fall lay flat. They, oh, they fall really flat. And you're like, I don't feel like I'm watching the same team. That to me is always the worst case scenario. I mean, it, for, for when you have a competitive team, that's the worst case scenario for a competitive team. Because, like we know, in the NFL, you have got to go on that three, four game run. And it's just right now, from my opinion, it's like the Bills struggle so much with that. And again, we'll go over this year to begin with because it's what we have right now. But and this has not just been in this year's trend. But even, okay, let's even just start with week one, as we know, is one of the two losses, right? It's like, oh, you know, they have everybody, everybody, even people that didn't have nothing to do with it, did not care about football, if they were watching the game with their family, they am sure they were thinking like, oh my goodness. You know, how could you possibly give more men, more momentum to the away team than what just had happened? The Bills did nothing to seize it. They did not. They, they didn't play with much passion. Again, week one, I understand. I understand. But all I'm saying is, regardless, the inconsistency is concerning because here we go. OK, then the next week, the 38-10 against the Raiders. And don't get me wrong, the Bills offense is elite no matter how you slice it. And the defense is elite. That's what makes this rather interesting is because that's why that's why I bring it up is they are elite on both sides of the ball. It's just the effort needs to start being the same every single week. There are weeks where they deliver heavy, like they did against the Raiders, like they did against the Commanders, right? Like they did against the Dolphins. But then there's this always inevitably happens a week, two weeks, three weeks afterwards, like last week. And again, maybe you're putting it on the fact that they went to London, right? Okay, that, that's probably a big thing too, though people were discussing. Yes, I understand a flight, all that. But regardless, you know, the Bills, I think we would expect them to go in here and handle their business. Not the Jags are a bad team. We know the Jags are a good team. One of your teams you thought had a chance to go all and you know, still technically we didn't want they have a chance to like an AFC favorite potentially. But regardless, this just was a game that they fell flat again. And the narrative has been for a while now, and, and for me it will continue to be. It's just they fall flat at sometimes very crucial moments where it feels like they're really building up a lot of momentum. And it makes you just question, you know, why this happens. And I think a thing too that I'll I, I used to try to put it all on Josh Allen, but the truth of the matter is it's not even all the way on Josh Allen, where Josh Allen will have a because Josh Allen have games like Yesterday, we're, I don't, I'm not going to put that on Josh. The team, the whole team itself just showed up flat. And I guess that's just, you also can look at it, I guess, from a perspective of like, it's the league and it's hard to show up as the best version of yourself every week. But I guess that's the thing I want to shift it to is it's like on the version where you're not your best self, you still want to see the team be able to slip out one. And it seems like whenever they don't show up as their best self, that's the ones that they lose. And it's like, that's volatile because we want to be able to show up on not your best day and still find a way to pull it out. I guess that's my main point. I'm going to like round it out to. Yeah. So here's my thing. As elite as Josh Allen is, and as elite as Stephon Diggs is, your defense hasn't 
allow more than 20 points a game this year. So it's like, if you guys are really, or wait, no, wait, no, they haven't allowed more than 25 points. My bad. I was looking at this wrong. I see what you're doing. No, I just did the same yeah, exact yeah. thing as you, though. That's hilarious. They, they haven't allowed more than 25 points this year. And my thing is, like, if you're an elite unit, I feel like you got to score at least four touchdowns a game. Like, I know you have off weeks, but, like, you shouldn't have lost to the Jets. That's the thing is, with the way the defense is playing, you're getting the ball so many times. Like, you shouldn't have lost to the Jags. Like, if and now, I'm a big Jags guy. So, like, I think the Jags have not been playing as good as they actually are. But at the end of the day, you you shouldn't lose that game. I know you're in London. Like, there's an excuse. But realistically, I mean, like, there's just random games that I can see. Like, they should not lose to the Chargers in December. But I could see them losing to the Chargers in December. No. And back to what we were just talking about before with with another topic with O-lines. Look. My thing is the Bills are built basically at this point, literally everywhere else. Tight end is getting a little bit where look, and I think, but my you know how it was about Dalton Kincaid. Give the give him some time. It's very very rarely to rookie tight ends yeah. just come on and pull a Sam Laporta. Yeah. I, give him some time. I think he's gonna be really, really good, if not an elite tight end. But the situation right now, I'm saying is yay, the one point besides where I'm gonna get to next where you can maybe circle and be like, okay, they're a little weak there. But point is the spot you don't want to be weak the most. Is that their O line is nothing special this year? Isn't it's it? very it's below average this year. And Deion Dawkins is the only person playing above average right now. And maybe you say I, I'll say Deion Dawkins is playing at a good level, right? He's playing at a good level. But reality situation is they're built everywhere else. And back to the main point is it's like so the two worst worst things about it is they don't sometimes just don't show up in big weeks and out of nowhere after they're, after they they're building momentum and then on top of that you're probably weak at the position group you just would want to be weak the least. Yeah, it's 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 a volatile recipe for when it becomes playoff time. And that will keep being the narrative until the Bills don't make it. It's just like, are you guys because there's a difference between getting outplayed, right? Like we've seen yeah. like, like we've seen the Bills get outplayed. and You're like, wow, they played a perfect game like Chiefs example. And you're just like they just lost. But it can't be that every single time they lose. And it's like my thing is I just don't want to see it become to a point where that's the that's the normal where they just fold in a big game. They fold in a playoff game. It cannot keep being it cannot. They have got to just keep. If anything, like you're saying, I just want to see just good consistency. If you lose in a good shootout and it's actually it is what it is and you lost the game and you get outplayed, then let it be that way. But it feels like a lot of times that when the Bills lose, they outplay themselves. Like they, 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 you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. they, they're beating themselves. They shoot themselves in the foot. I think honestly a big problem, and this has been talked about with the Bills for quite a while, and it just, I feel like they never fully address it. They have no run game. We started to the O line. We started it, or we talked earlier this year that they may have developed something, but they just have they just don't have a run game. Like, and I honestly think that this has more to do with like scheme, because it's like ever since they lost Dable, it just feels like they haven't necessarily had that juice on offense, and it's just like, yeah, Diggs is good, Davis is decent, but it's like. If teams can sell out to stop the pass and like your run game is nothing special. I mean, like, I don't know. Like, that's why I'll stand on it. Running first is always the move. Run first. Being able to pass elite on top of being run first is the championship formula, in my opinion. Always yes. has been. Right. It's just like, that's just how it is. Unless you're what, the Chiefs. Oh, see, even with them, though, 
I think last year would be an example where it's like they got the run game home probably the best that they've been able to get it going yes, yes. in the Mahomes era. And again, how much did it pay dividends when they needed it? I think it's when, they, when Mahomes was injured in the bull and they needed it. So you get what I'm saying. Like, and again, we saw the year they were past having, they didn't have the run game. And yeah, and we saw how it went against the Bucks in the bull. So, you know, you get my point on that. I think it also has to do with the fact that um, their O-line is probably the best it's been. So they're able to do that. No, it's, certainly. But it's, that's, again, back to the Bills. Yeah. It's like, that's where the, that is where the issue's coming in. And like you were saying with the scheme thing, bro, we're seeing Zach Moss put up legendary Ball numbers out. over there in, in, in Indianapolis. And you're like, hold on a minute. Yeah, it has to be scheme related because you guys have more weapons over here. And somehow they're making him go for 150 every other week. There's Even no with excuses. the backup QB in. Like, they know they're running the ball. There's no excuse for the way that the uh, Bills run game operates. And it's just more than anything, the O-line is just not good right now. I'm just, just going to call it for what it is. You don't think people are bringing it up. The Bills O-line is a suspect. I guess my thing, too, is, like, do you, like, just, like, what what happens after this year if they don't win it? That's what, like, that's what I'm saying. You put, and again, for, for a guy like Josh, a guy who's as crazy as Josh, you want to give him the best O-line possible because... You limit the craziness when he doesn't feel pressure. But a guy like Josh, when he's under pressure, that's when the crazy shit starts happening. If you want to stop the crazy shit from happening, you got to make the man feel secure. And to be honest, the Bills really have never done that. No. It's the biggest flaw with the way they've built this team. Yeah, it Regardless, is. Regardless, uh, if you if they went all the way and built the bull and, and that built and, and won the bull this year, you have got to heavily address the O-line. Regardless, it does, it would not matter. It would have been like if the Bengals won the bull against the Rams. It does not change the fact that they would still have completely do, do address the O-line. Yeah. Same concept. You know what I mean? Yeah. I um, am very interested to see what happens with Buffalo this year because everyone talked about how last year was their year. And I think they put a lot of unnecessary pressure on them. But honestly, it's just like. If they don't at least make the bowl this year. I feel like there's going to be a lot of tough conversations on the offensive side of the ball because I don't think it's the defense. I think it would you. start being trading certain stars for capital to get the O line because again I'm going to be on this train for and again especially if this is the recipe where they have a bad they fall off in the offs because the O line plays bad and they don't, the real situation is you can have some of the best receivers in the world it does not matter if you're not able to block long enough to get to the ball right. them. it does not that's why. Patriots and Saints are all examples always use with Drew and Tom where they always had elite O-line units around them. Yeah. It gives you the benefit of the doubt where you don't always have to have all pro receivers, pro bowl receivers. Yeah. But that is the one caveat is you have to have five studs on the O-line. There cannot be a weak point. The other team didn't figure it out yet. They no. kind of, they build a few, a few guys they think are like good and then they just let the rest be like rotational pieces. That is not a winning recipe. Teams have got to get more rigid on the, uh, like, like, and the Niners have been a lot of teams. You have got to have guys. The elite teams have best guys on both sides y- of the trenches. You're really favoring the line. You have got to favor your trenches, right? Yep. It's become very like teams are only focusing on the D line and they're like forgetting. I'm like, bro, you got to have five studs in that all line too. We'll stand on it forever. But that, yeah, that's pretty much all I had for on the Bills. Like I, it's just like, it, I feel like it's always the same old story with them. No, that's, it's, that was kind of like the theme today. Bills and Ravens we touched on. It's like same old story. Same old, same old. And the front office is just, just, insanity because they the definition of insanity is doing the same shit and expecting different results uh maybe the ravens and the bills are insane yep uh, probably <laughs> pure <actually>. journalism <laughs> all right well that's it thank you guys for listening that this was a little bit of a different episode we tried out today but uh hope you guys enjoyed it i mean we might go back to the recap version next week we don't know we're just trying some new things out so uh yeah let us know yeah we appreciate you guys sticking around if you enjoyed it and, you have, and you're not already drop a like drop a sub we appreciate you want to see you back again Thanks so much for sticking around.